<laughs> Hi, I'm Jeff Sankoff, also dad, and for this podcast, dead. And I'm Sam, also daughter, and also known as Slaughter. Welcome back. And yes, this is the Dead and Slaughter podcast, the horror podcast, which has been on hiatus for a short while. On the last episode, we talked about how we were going to watch the movie 28 Days Later. I didn't realize that we would actually watch the movie 28 Days Later. Sam. Wow. Where where have we been? Um, Cowering in terror, perhaps? No. I have been very overwhelmed with schoolwork and having a little bit of difficulty sleeping. Oh, why? Share with us what's been going on, Sam. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Halloween is fast approaching, so we thought that it was very important to get this podcast resurrected, uh, undead, if you will, which I think is a perfect segue for the film that we watched prior to recording this episode. As I uh, already alluded to, it was Danny Boyle's early 2000s film, 28 Days Later. Sam, would you like to give uh, a brief overview of uh, the movie, or, or would you like me to do that? Could you do that? Sure. 28 Days Later, I'm sure most of you have seen it. It's a uh, very famous film from, uh, as I mentioned, the early 2000s. It takes place in uh, Great Britain where uh, a you see early in the film, and obviously uh, if you haven't seen the movie and you want to see it, go watch it now, then come back because spoilers are about to be given. Uh, early in the film, some animal rights activists are... Uh, entering a animal lab in Cambridge where they want to rescue some lab animals, uh, chimpanzees specifically. They are warned by one of the lab workers not to do that because the chimps, we are told, are infected by a uh, virus, a rage virus, and that uh, it is easily communicable by a bite. The animal rights activists uh, are not interested. They open the cages and mayhem ensues. Uh, It does not take long before uh, panic and the virus spreads. We don't actually see that because what we do see is 28 days later when a man, played by Killian Murphy, awakens in an abandoned hospital and then slowly has to piece together what has happened to society as he wanders through an abandoned London, finding scraps of newspaper, seeing... um, posters of uh, people uh, uh, putting up um, uh, sort of, you know, signs uh, about the missing and the the dead. Uh, He uh, eventually has his first encounter with the infected, as they are called in this film. They are never once referred to as zombies, but uh, we know uh, as the movie going public, that is what they are. Um, he eventually does uh, meet uh, non-infected uh, people, uh, one of them played by Noemi Harris, who is uh, probably better known to younger people as uh, the actress who plays Money Penny in the uh, reboot of the James Bond series with Daniel Craig. At any rate, uh, she and he form an alliance. They eventually pair up with uh, another couple of people. Uh, Brendan Gleeson plays uh, the father to daughter Hannah. The four of them make their way to a military base, thinking that they will find salvation. 
but instead they run into all manner of, um, shall we say, the worst of humankind. Um, then given a choice between being infected themselves or uh, being trapped with uh, these soldiers, uh, Killian Murphy makes a decision to uh, take his chances and try and rescue his uh, female companions, which he does in a very exciting and very entertaining sequence. And they make their way north in order to uh, find rescue. Uh, there are a lot of plot twists, a lot of other things that we will discuss as we uh, converse about the film. But uh, Samantha, why don't you uh, begin by telling uh, the listeners what was your experience watching this movie? Well, I actually enjoyed this movie. Um, and I really just don't understand the fear premise that comes with zombie movies. I still think that they're incredibly overrated because... The entire point of having fear when watching a zombie movie is the fear of being eaten alive or the fear of getting the virus or whatever is being transmitted from zombie to zombie or zombie to person. And I feel like it would just be so much easier if you were either dead or you caught the virus because I feel like there's no point in being alive if your entire world is crumbling before you and you're just losing everyone that you care about. What's the point? Well, this is a theme that gets played out in a lot of different movies, right? Not just zombie films. I mean, any dystopian sort of futuristic society movie plays on that fear. I mean, we, you and I have talked a lot about the, you know, the, the, the basic core fears that are, uh, you know, sort of underlying a lot of horror films. Uh, and, you know, in old zombie movies, not so much in this one, but in old zombie movies, the fear of being eaten is a big thing. And in old zombie movies, zombies wanted to eat the brains of the victims. So that that is obviously removed from this film because the zombies don't eat their victims. But, um, uh, you know... Most dystopian films show, you know, survivors who are really alone. And that fear of being alone and the last person is uh, really a deep-seated fear. And, um, you know, the breakdown of society and uh, it, that, that's one of the things that I think make these movies work at a really deep-seated level because as much as you might think it, it would be really easy to just capitulate and, and just, you know, become a zombie or, or, be, you know, just, you know, listen, Killian Murphy's character's parents, Jim, his parents, they, they kill themselves rather than, you know, they they do, they take the easy way out, sort of like what you're saying, rather than fight the zombies, rather than stay alive. They just say, you know what, we're just going to commit suicide and just end it. And there's no question that's one way to deal with this. Um, but the human you know, the human nature is to want to survive and to fight to survive. And there will always be people who will, you know, want to survive and will do whatever it takes to try and survive. So I don't think it's unrealistic that there are going to be people who will be the gym and um, uh, Selena in this film. And the fear you know, of not wanting to succumb and not wanting to be infected and not wanting to lose your humanity, uh, I think is legitimate. So I, I, you know, I understand what you're saying and I understand why it didn't work for you. But I think that, um, 
you know, as you watch more and more of these kinds of dystopian future movies, and there are many out there that don't involve zombies, uh, you will see that uh, they all kind of leverage this idea that we have an innate desire to do whatever it takes to survive. And um, taking that easy way out and just say, you know what, I'm done with this, is not necessarily... Uh, what most characters and and even what you would want to do for sure. You you know, I I mean, it's easy to say when you're sitting in the comfort of your home watching the film, but um, you know, we'll see as you, as you get older, you might change your mind. You might think differently or you you might not, you might feel like Jim's parents. And and that is a certainly a a very easy to understand uh, thing. So I, I get that. I get that. But, but I mean, I, the movie as a whole, you said you enjoyed it. So, so what parts of it did you enjoy? Well, I just enjoyed the thrill of watching it. I didn't feel any horror. And this is actually one of the only movies that I've watched so far other than like a few other horror movies such as Alien or a couple of others that I I slept fine afterwards because I just enjoyed the thrill of it. I didn't feel any fear because I I see what you're saying when when you explain the innate the innate response of humanity to want to survive. I understand that, but I just I couldn't imagine trying so hard to stay alive when so much is pitted against you. But anyways, I really enjoyed the thrill of it, and I saw a different kind of fear, which happened later on in the film, which was the danger for the women in the film in this post- or mid-apocalyptic world, which is why the soldiers and the sergeant and the remainder of those veterans were so horrible was because they were going to rape these women just to quote unquote procreate. But really it was just all about sex. And that was really horrifying for me. Uh, Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, that's sort of, I alluded to that briefly. It's like, you know, the fear in this movie is not just fear of the, the infected, but it's also the fear of what, you know, our base nature as human beings are about what we can do to each other. You know, there were a couple of, uh, things in that. And, and to me, that really is, that's the crux of this film that when society goes to, you know, to the crapper, we resort to almost like a Lord of the flies, you know, base human nature and that even the discipline of, uh, you know, military is not enough. And I mean, you see that frequently, right? Like, uh, the, the, the soldiers playing in the kitchen, you know, all discipline went out the window. The officer who's in charge of those soldiers, he, he tells a story to Jim's character. Uh, he tells a story about how, you know, he found one of his soldiers with a gun in his mouth about to kill himself. I promised them women. Eight days ago, I found Jones with his gun in his mouth. He said he was going to kill himself because there was no future. What could I say to him? We fight off the infected or we wait until they starve to death and then what? What do nine men do except wait to die themselves? 
I moved us from the blockade, I set the radio broadcasting, and I promised them women. Because women mean a future. Children are a future. So your contention that it was all about sex, I'm not sure I totally agree with that. I do think, though, there's no question the women were not consensual in this, especially Hannah, who's underage. Um, And I I can actually explain why I think it was all about sex and not about procreation. Like what you were saying, which is women are a future, romance, procreation, families to protect. Yes, but that can be done consensually. They were extremely violent to these women and they were clearly about to rape these women and Hannah, who was completely underaged. And they even had, they even had these women dress up before their rapes as almost like a, an extra layer of torture. It was very clear that this was not consensual. And I, I don't disagree, Sam. I don't disagree. Yeah, I don't disagree, Sam. And, and I definitely, you know, as I said, I think that the, this level, this movie works on two levels, right? It works, uh, the fear of the infected, but also when you can't even turn to, you know, other humans because the other humans are potentially just as bad or worse than the infected that, you know, <laughs> that makes, that makes things really bad. And, and I think, that's why these kinds of movies work because for me, you know, we, the veneer of civilization is very, very thin. It doesn't take much. You you don't have to scratch the surface very hard to get down to our base biology and psychology. And um, I think that's why these movies work. We have a fear uh, as humans of, of disease that could, you know, you know, remove the, you know, the, the thin, protective layer of civilization. We have a fear of climate change. We have a fear of all of these things that are ostensibly out of our control and could easily result in that kind of dystopian future. And I think we worry, you know, what would we become? Would we become Jim and Selena or would we become those soldiers? Uh, Not individually, but would we as, you know, looking around us, who would become which side? And that's to me why these kinds of movies are fear-provoking and why they work so well. And um, yeah, I, I just, uh, it's also why this movie is really important and, and, and you know, did as well as it did and remains as important as it is in the sort of, you know, liturgy of horror films. Yes, I would agree. So let's talk a little bit uh, just about the zombie premise. You mentioned before that, you know, you don't get it. It doesn't work for you. I think it's important to just revisit. And I, and I mentioned, you know, before we watched this film that, you know, I wanted to make sure that we covered some of the best horror movies, not necessarily the scariest horror movies, but the best horror movies. And I wanted to make sure we went through certain genres and zombie films was one of the ones I wanted to be sure to include. Um, you know, zombie films got their start back in 1968 with George Romero's Night of the Living Dead. It was uh, a low-budget black-and-white film that was made for next to nothing and started, pretty much started the zombie, you know, genre and was a huge success. Um, at that time, Romero basically took the legend of zombies that come from Haitian voodoo uh, and uh, he took that and he brought it to America. 
Uh, and just to give you a little bit of context, uh, the zombie archetype first began in Haiti, as I mentioned, as part of their voodoo culture and mirrored the inhumanity that existed between 1625 and 1800 in African slavery, in their relentless misery and subjugation. And the idea was that um, when slaves would die, they would be released back to a place, a, a sort of a, a planal place that would take them almost to like a, an afterlife where they could be free. And because suicide became very, very common, they wanted to discourage suicide. And uh, if if slaves committed suicide, the idea was that they wouldn't get to go back to this African um, plane of the afterlife and instead would become undead. And their undead slave would be denied their own bodies and yet still trapped inside of them and become what was a soulless zombie. So the soulless zombie then became very much part of Haiti's folklore and it evolved and, and sort of, you know, continued to be part of the voodoo religion. And then eventually Romero learned of it and turned it into his protagonist's nightmares in the Night of the Living Dead movie. But in that movie, he kind of like added a whole bunch of rules. So in his movie and in many of the zombie films after, zombies had an insatiable hunger for human flesh. They tended to hunt in packs and they were unstoppable unless they were decapitated and they could turn their victims into fellow zombies with just one bite. And they were basically a metaphor for everything that bothered Romero about the modern world at that time. Uh, they were kind of like a, a, a metaphor for the cold war and they were a metaphor for, you know, uh, conformity and, and, and they just, kind of, you know, people, people who didn't want to move together, people who didn't want to conform, they, they would be hunted down and, and turned into one of these zombies. Zombie movies were all the rage, but by the end of the turn of the century into uh, the 2000s, they had kind of run out of steam. And then along comes 28 Days Later and Danny Boyle, who really reinvigorates things by changing a couple of major premises about the zombie sort of genre. The first being he takes away this idea that zombies have to be slow moving and shambling. Uh, 28 Days Later is the first film in which zombies run at full speed. And in fact, uh, they hired athletes to play the zombies because he really wanted uh, people who were body aware and could sprint in, uh, you know, full, uh, full velocity. And uh, you could see that, especially in the tunnel scene when the zombies were sprinting through the tunnel. It was pretty impressive. Um, and then the other thing was, of course, that the zombies don't eat flesh. Um, and, uh, his film was so successful and as I said, reinvigorated the zombie genre. And since that movie, there has been just an explosion of zombie films, uh, everything from Shaun of the Dead to remakes of Romero's films to, uh, World War Z, uh, and on and on it goes. What's that, Sam? The Walking Dead. Well, of course, The Walking Dead, uh, the very successful HBO series, and, and on and on it goes. I mean, they, they've all been incredibly successful, and they have become very much a part of, you know, today's culture, and literally can all be traced back 
to Danny Boyle's film 28 Days Later, which is why it's such an important film because, uh, you know, not only is it a great movie because I think it hits on, you know, so many important elements and so many important uh, kind of themes, but also because it does such a great job. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, there's some other, you know, important things about zombies and this is why I want you to think about it, you know, like, so we think about the classic horror movie monsters, vampires, werewolves, you know, Um, you know, unlike those characters, you know, zombies aren't frightening because of how powerful they are, right? Zombies aren't terribly frightening. Zombies are frightening because of how dismal, it would be to become one yourself. Uh, you know, the idea of becoming a, 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 you know, a mindless, shambling, you know, brain-eating undead is just not something that anybody aspires to, I would hope. Um, another difference is that werewolves and vampires are content to share the planet with the rest of us. And in, in all of werewolf and vampire movies, they just walk among us, right? Uh, they might tuck into the odd, innocent bystander once in a while, but uh, for the most part, they don't threaten our way of life. Zombie movies are different because they're zombies either cause or are a result of complete societal breakdown. And, you know, there's always some dystopian kind of like aftermath. Uh, There's either a botched science experiment, a radiation leak, some glowing meteorite or some virus. Uh, Something happens that begins zombifying the populace and the result is a pandemic and the world is left in chaos. And so it's, it's a very different kind of scenario than you see with the isolated monster. And this, um, you know, I think we're seeing this with COVID, you know, I mean, no, people are legitimately fearful of getting infected by a virus that that they know could have some pretty significant impact on them not even turning them into a zombie but it could kill them it, it could uh, it could incapacitate them and leave them with significant after effects yet so you know, many people act like it couldn't well that's why that's why i i jokingly say that you know i no longer find zombie movies that fearful because you know in the past i would think you know how did those people become zombies? You would think they would have run away, but now looking at how people behave in the time of COVID, I kind of think like, oh, now I get how zombie movies, zombies Guarantee happen. Guarantee you. Guarantee yeah. you. It happened in the real world and a zombie came up and bit someone who was like, yeah. it's a hoax. Yeah, they wouldn't believe it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, Sam, there are some other excellent zombie movies and uh, we will have to watch them since you don't find zombies frightening. Um, you know, I can think of a, a bunch that I'd love to watch with you. Uh, I've mentioned Shaun of the Dead. Uh, World War Z is entertaining, but it's it's not anywhere close to the best. Uh, you watched a little bit of it and, and I frankly think it was kind of dumb. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's one of the better ones at all, but Zombieland is Phenomenal. Zombieland is is a, a really good one, and uh, there are some scary ones. Uh, you know, the scary ones like uh, Dawn of the Dead uh, from the early two thousands is a scary one, but it's more scary because of atmosphere. Uh, even if you don't find zombies uh, scary, I mean, there's a lot of jump scares in that one. There's a lot of good set pieces with atmosphere. You know, there there's basically a bunch of uh, survivors in a shopping mall. Uh, hoping for rescue and uh, it's uh, it, it's got some good stuff in there but uh, I don't disagree with you if, if like listen if, if the zombie premise doesn't scare you then you know none of these movies might necessarily find you might not find any of these movies necessarily that scary but um, 
definitely movies like Shaun of the Dead and Zombieland are incredibly entertaining. And uh, yes, Franco, I really want to see Shaun of the Dead. It looks hilarious. Yeah, so every Simon Pegg movie is good. Um, okay, well, uh, final thoughts then. Uh, 28 Days Later, is that one that you would recommend to folks? Most definitely. If not, if even if you aren't afraid of the zombie of zombies or you tend not to love zombie movies, which I can totally relate to, it's actually very good. And there are a lot of different layers to it, so... I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, 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 you know, I can't remember when I first saw this movie, but I wholly enjoyed it. And uh, I have not seen 28 Weeks Later. Uh, apparently, but I think, uh, apparently what? It's disappointing. That's not what I've read. I've actually read, I mean, listen, nothing ever lives up to the original, but um, I've actually read that it's quite a worthy sequel. And I think the reason that it uh, would be worth watching at this point is because Danny Boyle has talked about a uh, third film in the series that um, he is very eager to uh, produce. Uh, he and Alex Garland, who was the uh, original writer of uh, the first two films, have gotten together and come up with a story that they feel is very original and would really do justice to the first two films. And they're thinking of uh, putting that together next year. It would be called 28 Months Later. And... Um, I am intrigued because uh, I, I do like the dystopian, uh, you know, future premise. And uh, I, I do like zombie films. I find them, I, I find they do get to me. I don't find them like, you know, horrifying, but I do find that uh, I, that carnal fear is something that uh, works for me. And I like Danny Boyle's work. And I think that, uh, I think it would be worthwhile to sit down and watch 28 Weeks Later. And maybe we'll have to give an update, Sam, uh, what we think about it when we watch it. Okay, I would be up to it. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the next film in our series, uh, which hopefully will not take 28 days to watch, is one that uh, Sam alluded to a little bit earlier in the podcast. It is one that we've seen before, but we're going to rewatch. And the reason I want to uh, include it in this series is because um, it's a monster movie. And it's, uh, it combines a, a monster film with sci-fi. And also because um, I happen to have a guest in mind who is an amateur filmmaker who does a lot of monster films. And so I want to have him on in order to get his insights uh, as well as uh, get him involved in the conversation about its importance as a monster film in kind of the you know litany of monster films that have been made. Uh, so what's that film that we're going to talk about next time, Sam? Next time we're going to be talking about Alien, which is yeah. actually one of my favorite horror movies, and I have watched it multiple times, and I absolutely love it. So I'm excited. All right. Well, um, I can guarantee it won't be 28 days or more till our next episode. So thanks for sticking with us. And thank you to everybody who reached out to ask uh, where the podcast had gone. We really appreciate your listening and caring. Uh, and uh, we promise uh, to keep uh, these podcasts coming with a little more regularity. Uh, so, Sam, uh, this was a, a great episode and a movie that we both really enjoyed. We'll look forward to uh, talking to everybody real soon. Bye for now. Bye.